we'll be in Luke chapter five. Good morning again. Thanks again, Rachel, for your awesome uh, authenticity uh, and your genuine sharing. It was wonderful. Um, you'll have to tell the story another day, I suppose, um, about the lake. But, but no, we appreciate that. Uh, and uh, we appreciate everyone here. It's good to see everybody's faces. I have no slides this morning, which is a plus for me because it means I get to see you guys instead of staring at a, a slide, just sort of hoping people are there. Um, you know, never really know, right? But, um, but yes, I get to see you, look at you. You're all wonderful. It's great. Um, great to see faces. And uh, we'll be in Luke chapter five here, here this morning. You know, fittingly, uh, the, uh, the text this morning includes uh, an allusion to a wedding. We have a, a wedding coming up here, uh, which is exciting here. We have the Wetzel wedding, uh, Wetzel Upton wedding uh, here coming up this weekend, which is pretty, uh, pretty awesome. And uh, so we're excited about that. And then, um, yeah, I won't go ahead and ruin it. That, that's no fun. So we'll just go ahead and read. Luke 5, verse 27. Uh, we'll begin reading here. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. You know, and, and Rachel made a good point that when Jesus says, follow me, he uses a very specific Greek word. Uh, which has more to do with the idea of enlisting or following, subscribing to someone's way of life as opposed to just, you know, walk beside me. So Jesus approaches this guy, Levi, at his tax collector booth and says, follow me. And Levi got up, look at this, left everything and followed him. All right. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the old, uh, sorry, from the patch the new will not match the one from the old. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wine and skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Uh, you know, the goal of my lesson this morning is the celebration of restoration. Uh, and so the interesting thing that happens here is there are two objections made by the Pharisees. And it's important to understand kind of the people we're dealing with here. We've got a tax collector, a toll collector in Levi. Levi is a um, a Jewish name, as a Hebrew name, uh, that refers to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites were a very important tribe because they were the tribe entrusted with being the priests, the Levites. And the priest's job, right, was to be the ones who interceded for the normal people to God. A very, very, very uh, important role for the tribe of Levi. Um, in fact, they're the only tribe that doesn't actually get any land because you're supposed to, you're supposed to give a tenth of all you get to the priests, right? Kind of early tithing uh, practice there. And so he's named Levi, but he's a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, it means that he's basically collecting extortion, a ton of money, <laughs> exorbitant amounts of money from his own people 
and giving him to the Romans. Um, so he's, he's viewed as basically nothing less than a, a traitor. Um, imagine, imagine somebody from your own people group, right, um, who's not just spying on you, but getting paid really well for it. We saw a little video clip on Wednesday that kind of showed this. He's not just, uh, he's not just a, a traitor, he's a rich traitor. Um, and here is Jesus calling Levi. Levi gives up everything and then uh, throws a banquet. It begs the question, if he gave up everything, how, did, how was he able to have a banquet? <laughs> you know, it's like, I got rid of everything and then I made dinner, you know? Um, but the, the idea is that giving up everything is not maybe necessarily selling everything. It just means you, you reorient all of your possessions around the mission of Jesus. And so now, instead of them being Levi's possessions, they're now Christ's possessions, right? They're being used for Jesus. But there are two objections raised by the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a, a really religious group of people. They're not bad people, despite what many people think. They're very good people. Uh, they, they, they're probably the best people in terms of following the Bible in Jesus's time. Um, and they come upon Jesus, and they have, they have two, two issues, two bones to pick, right, with Jesus Christ here. And the first is, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Um, and just like today, when you associate with somebody, um, you you risk something. When you associate with somebody, you uh, associate with somebody, you risk being seen as in the same league with those people. Uh, you see them as living the same life, right? If you're seen with people who live a certain lifestyle, there's a risk of being um, seen as maybe maybe you partake in the same lifestyle. And the Pharisees had a, a very um, specific angle or an approach about how to encounter and deal with sinners. And that angle was to basically not. <laughs> they saw people that were sinners as a contamination. Uh, they saw people that were sinners as people that could potentially contaminate them. Uh, so the, the, the response was to stay away. And as, as that, maybe that sounds disgusting or it sounds anathema or horrible to us. Consider for a second how right? We look at people uh, that maybe have a certain lifestyle or are different than us, or might be a bad influence, might have COVID. Right? It's a little bit too close to home there with the contamination of COVID thing. But, but, but the Pharisees really believed this, that if they got too close or if they, if they were too, if they associated, especially in having dinner or table fellowship, if you associated with people like this, that you could be contaminated by their, their sin or their disease. And so where the Pharisees saw these people as a contamination, Jesus sees an opportunity for restoration. Um, and, and Jesus actually has dinner at Levi's house. Uh, and it, it's interesting, it's powerful because this type of dinner is called a, to get too nerdy on it, it's called a Greco-Roman symposium. And basically it's this idea of when you have dinner like this, the whole point is to make friends, right? Uh, a lot of us, remember what having dinner with friends used to look like, right? You, you do that and you, you ask questions. What do you do for a living and where are you from? And how'd you meet, you know, if you're married, how'd you meet? How'd you move to Charlottesville? What do you, what do you, what are your favorite movies? Oh, you like this guy, you like that, like that director, you like him. There, there, there's an exchange of ideas and, and questions to become friends, right? So Jesus initiates this by calling Levi dinner at the house and the Pharisees have a problem with it because they see Jesus and there's something different about Jesus because both objections are kind of the same. The first is why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the second is why does your movement look so different than everyone else's? Um, hey, remember John the Baptist, your cousin? Yeah, yeah, my cousin, John, great guy. 
Uh, remember him? Because they fasted all the time. Uh, and they were really serious. You know, they ate, ate bugs in the wilderness, you know, kind of thing. Uh, they were really serious. How come you guys are always, always partying, you know? And even Jesus says this in Matthew 11, you know, where they, you know, basically like you're mad at John the Baptist because he was too serious and you're mad at me because we're having too much fun. But the reality is, is that Jesus's people were seen as different than all the other people around them, not just like the, the secular non-religious people, they were seen as different than the other religious people around them because they were people that were consistently celebrating. They were consistently rejoicing. Now, does, does that sound like something that has been characteristic of us in our walk these past few months? But people that were continually celebrating this is, this is what the Pharisees noticed about Jesus. They didn't say, man, those guys who follow Jesus are super pure. Or you know what they are? They're really, really righteous. Or you know what they are is they are really, really good at following the law. They noticed that they're constantly having fun. They're constantly joyful. That is what people are noticing about Jesus's folks, Jesus's disciples. And and especially the Pharisees are like, why, why are you happy, first of all? And why are you happy with them? Um, and, and Jesus has some great answers. You know, you read the Bible, you go, golly, this guy was, I mean, he's God in the flesh. So I suppose we shouldn't be so, so surprised. But man, the zinger. Did you ever leave, some, leave a situation and you had a good zinger, but you didn't, you didn't do it? You know, that would have been right. That would have been perfect to say, gosh. But Jesus, he had the, 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 the one-liners ready, right? But he says, hey, listen, it's not the healthy we need a doctor, but the sick. Now that's a bit of a twist of the knife for one reason. One reason is that Jesus could be saying on one hand, uh, yeah, only sick people need help. And you guys aren't sick, so I can't help you. So either Jesus is being honest and saying that they're healthy, or he's being cheeky, which I like to think that Jesus is being cheeky, and saying it's only the people who think they're healthy that won't go to the doctor. It's only those, so there's, it's not that they are healthy, it's that they think they're healthy. And therein lies the great difference between all of those who endeavor to follow Christ and all of those who do not, is a simple awareness of a sickness. It's an, unpo it's, it's an unpopular awareness today, to be honest. We live in a world that says nobody is, nobody is wrong, everyone is right, uh, and we're all fine, and we always need to accept that we're all okay and right. And there's a, a hint of Christness in that. I don't think that's wrong. I think we all are in the image of God, but I do think there is a nugget, a, a massive nugget, maybe more of a boulder, in the idea that, that we all have gone astray. We all are wandering on that lake, like Rachel was talking about, sort of having no idea where to go. We all need a redeemer. We all need a physician. Um, and so Jesus basically says, listen, if you guys wanted help, I would help you. The reality is, is you don't want help. And so that's, that's the first objection here. The second objection has to do um, with why are they happy all the time? Why are they not fasting? And Jesus says, hey, listen, when you're at Stephen and Liza's wedding, right, you're not fasting, right? You're eating, you're eating up, right? You're, you, know, you got the wine, you got the different, you got the entree and the dessert. When you're at the wedding, you don't fast, right? That's an obvious thing. You fast later, before, whatever, but not at the wedding. Jesus is saying, they're with me. The bridegroom is here. We're celebrating. And I just love the idea that when Jesus on earth, God in the flesh on earth, that the one thing that seems to come up over and over and over again is that his people are constantly happy. 
his people are constantly joyful. That wherever he goes, there is celebrating. And I read this and I was cut to the heart because the last six months have been hard. They have been difficult. Uh, many of us are feeling fatigued. We are feeling emotionally overwhelmed. We are feeling financially strapped. Uh, we are hearing about things that happen halfway across the globe and are anxious about it. Um, we are hearing a thing about things that happen close to home and we are reminded of experiences and memories from our own childhood. We want to share faith, but we don't know how. Uh, we, we, we get nervous about doing that. We want to love each other, but we don't know how. Uh, we get focused on, we're in the, inside a lot quarantining. And so the microscope upon our own soul is times a thousand. And we, 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 we live, live with ourselves all the more and are realizing it's kind of hard to do that uh, because we all have sin. We all have great amounts of sin. And it's been highly difficult with what's gone on in our world, in our countries, in our families, in the lives of our kids as they, as they reconcile. And at, at great difficulty, at, depending on their age and their maturity level, what's going on and what's happening. Um, you know, my nieces call it the, the bug. They're like, is, do you have the bug? Is the bug there? Where's the bug? You know, I don't know. The bug's everywhere. Um, but, you know, like, what, where's, you know, but it's like, it's, it's a difficult time. And I began to think, man, have, has my life for the last six months been characterized by celebration? And I'm not talking about fake, you know, like religious, quote unquote, like I'm celebrating, you know, like I'm not talking about, I love you. I encourage you. I, I'm forced to, you know, just like, because that's, I think what a lot of people do because they don't deal with the root. And so they just think they can slap on, right. You know, and maybe some of you like have a, have made a dummy with like a smile on it for your zoom camera, but you're not actually there. It's just like, you know, um, kind of a, a, you know, weekend at Bernie's thing, but um, you know, like, Hey, I just, I just need to get through it. But it's almost like the entire world, God has given us a chance to go deeper. You know, what one time we were able to go on Sunday, go on Wednesday to church, you could guarantee two interactions a week with disciples. There are no interactions guaranteed now for you. There are no, you must initiate and you must realize that you need a doctor. And we have to all realize that or else we will think we're healthy when we're really not. And, you know, hopefully thousands of years from now, people won't read a story about us and go, man, the Pharisees over there. I'm like, no, no, I was really actually just trying to be careful, you know, like, but no, but we, there is something to celebrate, but do we know what it is? And are we really appreciating it? Uh, and that's what I wanted to focus on this morning is Levi. How cool is Levi here, right? He, uh, he's a trader. He's a tax collector. Toll collectors are toll collectors for a reason. They're not just like, forced into it. They're, they're generally really uh, nasty people. To be honest, they're people who have to be dishonest. They're generally people who have to uh, kind of skirt the law. They're people who prioritize money over friendships. Um, they're kind of the modern day equivalent of someone who runs maybe a prostitution ring or a spy or an informant. It is not somebody that you would at all want to, it's somebody who takes advantage of other people for money. This is what Levi did. And Jesus goes to him and he says, follow me. And, uh, you wish the cameras were there, right? Where Levi kind of looks around and goes, um, 
me? This is a big deal. This is a really, really, really big deal because Jesus has called some unsavory people already. He's called some fishermen. Okay. He's called some zealots. I gotcha. But Jesus has not yet called a traitor into his midst. This is a big deal. Jesus has not yet stepped over this line. He's called some people you might be uncomfortable with. He's called some people who might not be the best Jews, but he has not yet called somebody who takes advantage of other people for money. A traitor, a spy. And Jesus calls him. And, uh, and Levi's pumped, right? Levi's excited, gives up everything, throws a dinner of other folks who maybe aren't so incredible. And there they are. Uh, asking questions, talking, and Jesus is basically initiating friendship with the traitors, the refuse of the world. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. You know, as we were talking about this last Wednesday, I thought to myself, what did Levi stand to lose as he followed Jesus? He left his very, very wealthy lifestyle for sure. But I don't think that's the question. The question is not what did Levi stand to lose by following Jesus. A lot of times when we, when we think about our faith in God, we think, what do I stand to lose when I read my Bible this week? What do I stand to lose by trying to befriend that person again? What do I stand to lose when I call and try to share my heart again, even though I feel like I'm the only one on the side of this friendship doing anything? What do I, you know, what do I stand to lose uh, when I put my heart into the kids' ministry lesson, and I'm not really sure if it's bearing any fruit, what do I stand to lose? We tend to put way too much emphasis on our activity and our faith, which causes us to realize that we are not good enough, that we will never be good enough, or on the other end, that we are quite good, we are quite incredible, and that we're going to make it just fine. But either way, we are missing the point of the story. The point of the story is not what did Levi stand to lose. The point of the story is what did Jesus stand to lose? And the question was everything. The answer is everything. Jesus calls Levi, and this is now a horse of a different color. <laughs> this was a nice little Jesus movement for a bit. But, but now you've called that guy. You've called the Roman traitor. Is that what this is? Jesus was not out to make any friends, really, right? He's not like, Jesus is not primarily trying to change the world by changing the government. You know, social reform is a very important thing, but social reform is secondary to healing the individual sinner. Jesus was very concerned with healing the individual sinner. That it is individual sinners that are healed, that change the world, that change governments and change systems. And Jesus understood that that was what was most important. And the people that surround Jesus are not people of a certain ethnicity, race, or gender. They are people that are described by really one characteristic. They've repented. The repented gather around Jesus and form a new community. And Jesus immediately comes under attack when he's seen with these people. He stands to lose everything by calling this guy. You know, I think if we were to like place bets on who's going to betray Jesus at this time, we're not picking Judas. I don't think anybody is. Give me, give me Levi. You know, I'll take two to one odds that Levi is going to be the one to, to betray Jesus here. He's got all the accolades for it. The guy's dishonest. He's untrustworthy. He likes money. Check, check, check. Why would you pick this guy, Jesus? 
But the reality is, is Jesus does not love Levi because of who he is. Jesus loves Levi despite who he is. And if, if we can know that, because the reality is, is that Jesus chose, chose Levi at great individual cost to himself, but it was nothing compared to the individual cost that Jesus would lose and pay for loving you. He would go to the depths of hell for you and he would, and that you might not even follow him. But the reality is, is Jesus didn't die for you with like a chance that you'd betray him. Jesus died for you knowing that you would betray him. And we all have, when we've sinned in those moments that we don't want to talk about, that make it hard to sleep at night. Those are the moments where Jesus died for us. And that is the beauty of this faith. That is the beauty of what we do. Is it is not about us. It is about a community of repented people. It is when we stop repenting that we stop celebrating. And if we stop celebrating, we just become a religious group of people who criticize others and say, hey, why are you happy? Stop being happy. Shouldn't be happy. Uh, I don't think any of us want that. I think the paradox is, is that celebration is actually together with repentance. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance brings times of refreshment, according to Acts, right? Chapter, uh, chapter three. T- repentance brings refreshment. Repentance is all about, uh, it's a breath of fresh air. It's, it's, it's going, it's never giving up. It's about reorienting your life back toward God. And the, the second we think that, that, okay, so I have a question. If you're not celebrating, are you repenting? Because when you're repenting, no matter how well or not well you do when you repent, I don't know, repentance is about a cosmic shift of mind and heart and intention. If your intentions are shifting, then there's cause for celebration. Even if you fail massively, celebrate because you've seen the issue. It's not about being healthy. Don't be healthy. Realize that you're sick and let the healer heal you. It is Jesus that we take on. And I want to encourage us, church, to be a church of people who repent, a church of people who are known for people who love repenting because repentance brings celebration. It brings celebration and not celebration about what we've done, but what he's done. And that's the best kind of celebration. You think Levi was having a celebration at his house because, guys, I used to be a traitor. Now I'm pretty sweet, right? No, he's like, I just want to celebrate this guy. Guys, and he even brings his friends, other traitors, (laughs) other scum of the earth, right? Like, hey, guys, you know how we're all scum? Yeah, okay, we all know that. This guy called me, you, Matthew. Yeah, he picked me, and there were lots of other good options out there, like lots of good other options. Yeah, we know there are lots of options, okay? You have to tell us. Like, they picked me. And that is the gospel. In three words, he picked me. And that's enough to share your faith. It's enough to tell your kids about what a great thing we get to do every day when we celebrate that he picked me. He picked you, daddy. I know, right? It's nuts. He picked you, mommy. He picked me. That that is the beauty of what we get to do every day. And just to close out with the wineskins thing, you're probably like, oh, Drew's just going to gloss over the wineskins. Convenient preacher. Hey, listen, I'm getting there, okay? So the, the wineskins is this idea. Jesus says, listen, everyone loves old wine, right? Like that. To this day, it's also true. But you don't put new wine in old wineskins. It'll burst because the, the, the leather won't expand. You don't also patch, you know, uh, old cloth on the new cloth. It'll, it'll tear. In both examples, Jesus is saying, I know that you have a preference for the old way of doing things, but you've got to have room to expand. You've got to have grace. You've got to be patient. You've got to be open. And the sad part is, as Jesus says, but I know at the, in the end, you're going to prefer the old way of doing things. I know in the end, you're going to prefer Torah observance. You're going to prefer sacrifices in the temple. 
you're going to prefer righteousness. And not that those things are necessarily bad. It's just that, because Jesus isn't saying old wine is bad. He's agreeing. Old wine is good. I, I agree. Old wine is good. Judaism, Torah observance, the Bible. Yes, all very good. But when something new comes along, will you expand? It's repentance. It's humility. It's openness. It's open to being wrong. And I want to encourage us this morning. There's more celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. There was more celebration. There was more celebration in heaven when Maya got baptized a couple weeks ago than we can even fathom. But did many of us even notice there was a baptism? Did we celebrate the baptism? I've never met Maya, but I was convicted like, I need to celebrate this thing. Somebody got baptized. Look, there's a picture of her. That's incredible. She looks pretty cool. Maybe I'll meet her someday. This is outstanding. In the middle of a pandemic, one, look, at there's so much rejoicing in heaven. Celebration in a lot of ways is a discipline. Are we celebrating? Are we, are we seeing what Jesus has done? Because if nothing good ever happens again, and I think that things are going to happen, if bad things continue to happen, this year, and maybe, maybe they will, God forbid, if rough things continue to happen, we've got to have something to fall back on. And no matter who's elected, right? No matter what happens with COVID-19, no matter what happens in our government, no matter what happens in any kind of social, political, religious, or economic reform, we always know that he chose me. And that is enough to celebrate for the rest of our lives. Let's go ahead and pray. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.